This is The Shift Podcast. Thanks for checking out The Shift Weekend Podcast with John Jang. On this episode, relationship, love, and dating expert Nicole Haley joins the show to discuss dating in 2021, plus answering your questions. David Pei, the artistic director for Music on Main, discusses the upcoming virtual music festival called Listening Together. And are you okay with breaking up with your sports team? Or the McPizza coming out of retirement? Hey, do you like podcasts? If so, why not subscribe to ours? Find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, and online, CuriousCast.ca. We have a special guest joining us here on the program. You may remember her first appearance on The Shift came back a few months ago for Valentine's Day. She is Nicole Haley, relationship, love, and dating expert. You can find her online at NicoleTalksLove.com. Nicole, appreciate you giving us some time here tonight. Yeah, thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what we decided is because we had so much fun um, speaking with you and getting your input on like what dating throughout a whole pandemic is like for Valentine's Day. We've been trying to think of ways to get you back on and get our listeners, um, you know, more more used to who you are and being able to now use your expertise to directly help guide them through certain issues that maybe they're having in their love lives or certain questions they might be having with the dating scene. And so I'm wondering and hoping that you'd be okay if we uh, kind of open up Pandora's box here and ask some yeah. questions. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's okay. All right. So we, we got this one question sent in from Jason out in Ottawa. And he, uh, he says here, uh, my long-term girlfriend and I, uh, we just broke up, but we've been trying to stay friends. We're both finding it really difficult, though, because of lingering emotions. So mm -hmm. what do you recommend that we do? Do we stay in contact or maybe take a break and yeah. I guess not talk to each other for a while? Such a great question. And no breakup is easy, especially when you still have feelings for that person. They're a great person. There wasn't anything really pivotal that caused the breakup. Just maybe you're no longer aligned for the future. So it makes it so much more complicated to end it. However, if you really want to create that long-term friendship or have some kind of connection in the future, you do need to have that clean break. And what I mean by that is really giving each other space without each other in it. So I recommend three months of no contact. Mm. And what that does is it allows all those emotions and feelings and hormones to subside because if not every time you see that person you're flooded with memories you're flooded with those connections and so going for dinner or just having a talk ends up leading into more because the brain can't decipher what are we now there's no actual distinction and so until you have that break your brain can't process what you are so creating that six or, or three months i'd say even six months whatever you both agree on mm -hmm. will allow then a potential friendship to develop later because you've really honored each other's space to heal move on to find your sense of self again without that person in the same picture would you recommend that during this three or six month process that maybe, um, what would you say, like just remove them off social media so that you don't have to be reminded oh, of them or like if you right. see them online, yeah. you know, there's no, oh, gosh. yeah, mm -hmm. there's no urge to like reach out and be like, hey, how are you? Right, or I just saw your story. Because that's the other thing, right? You see each other's stuff and you're like, he keeps looking at it. He must be interested. Or why is she liking something? Yeah, it gets confusing. So if you're if you're mature and you're having this conscious conversation, you could say, hey, I really respect you and I respect myself in this process of letting go. We need to have clear boundaries. And the boundary is I'm going to block you for the next three months. And you can do the same because I really want to heal so that I can and respect you in the future. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a, that's a big one, I think, because as we live in this social media age, it's, you know, you can see everything and anybody. Yes. And so it but doesn't it always, confusion. 
Yeah, it does, and I and I, I don't mm-hmm. know like what what that would be like to have to do a breakup like uh, d- digitally through a pandemic as well. Like maybe that's mm-hmm. not the easiest thing, but I think that's mm-hmm. a really good insight there. All right. We got this one from Amanda out in Surrey uh, saying uh, dating during the pandemic is just super, super frustrating. You know, I want to meet them, but I kind of don't want to meet them. I know I'm attracted to them, but we can't actually kiss. So what's the point of even dating in a pandemic? That's an interesting one. Yeah, I was thinking when I hear that, it does. There's two layers to that. So one, the um, dating dynamic has definitely changed. We all know that. And there's some positives that come out of it. So if you're looking for a long-term relationship, this really allows time to get to know somebody and space because you're not so quick to meet up. There's not that instant hookup to have sex, to be intimate. So there's this this pacing that allows you to really get to know someone. However, if you're not looking for something long-term or if you're not looking for like that deep committed committed relationship you're maybe more casual and it is frustrating because you do want to connect right away and there may be somebody who's like putting the brakes on and not certain and so yeah it can create that confusion so i guess it really asks yourself what are you looking for ultimately if you're looking for casual then this might not be the easiest season to do it in because everybody has their own restrictions of concern and safety but if you're looking for a long-term relationship this is a perfect time because there's no pressure to have sex right away you get to really slow down you can use that as the excuse to get to know someone before you move into that next phase or that step Oh, you know what? That that reminds me of what we talked about last time when we were talking about just dating in the pandemic. And it's very similar to just like long distance relationships where Mm -hmm. you have to build that really important foundation. And in a lot of ways, some of the healthiest relationships kind of start that way where there's no pressure, there's no physical contact. You're just getting to know the individual on the inside. Totally. And you know why? It's because when we start being more intimate on some of that deep connection, it doesn't even have to be fully sex, but just more intimacy, this hormone oxytocin gets released in your body and it floods the brain. And we start bonding prematurely without knowing if we really like this person or if we're really compatible. We miss red flags. We miss our gut intuition telling us something because we're so flooded with this hormone. And that's why we end up in something in these relationships where we're like, oh my gosh, how did I end up here? Or who am I even dating? or how did I even get into that relationship in the past? And it's because we usually entered in something so physical so quickly that caused us to miss things. Interesting. Sorry, that was oxytocin hormone. Oxytocin Mm -hmm. hormone. Okay, I'm going to have to do some Googling on that one. That sounds important. (laughs) It's like, you know, a very important hormone to keep in mind there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're in conversation with Nicole Haley. She is a relationship dating and love expert. Nicole talks love.com. Send in your questions, 877-399-9898. Moving right along, we got this one from Dave in Edmonton. So Dave says, I'm a little bit older, so dating apps don't really work for me. How is anyone supposed to meet anyone anymore if you're just not tech savvy? And I feel for Dave because I do hear this a lot with some of the older people in my Mm -hmm. life. We're just like, you kids have it so easy because you can meet anyone doing these little apps, but we can't meet old school anymore. Or I guess it's a little harder now these days. It's true, and I feel for him, for sure, Um, because the world shifted quite a bit. But there are five ways to meet people. And so the first one that he's mentioned is the online dating, which includes like your matchmaking, your speed dating. So there is that. And if he is looking to try to not be so tech savvy, go to a website, go to your match.com or 
um, this is our time now.com instead of the apps. The apps get a little bit more confusing if you're not tech savvy. So start there, but then look at four other ways. So there's out and about. So you're out and about doing the things you love, the coffee shops. If you're out going for a walk, if you have a dog, whatever activity you do. I had a client meet her man at Home Depot. <laughs> right, <laughs> right on. Like yeah. down in the aisle, right? So the out and about works. The number two is friends of friends. So letting your friends know, hey, like I'm single. I'm looking for someone great like you. Do you know anyone that's similar interests or someone that you think would be interested in going for coffee? Without that pressure, it doesn't have to go anywhere, but just being introduced. And that also includes like parties. I know right now we're in a bit of restriction, but like outside barbecues, outside gatherings, any of those where you're using your friend's network into integrating. Number three is like your common interests. So what do you love? Do you love tasting whiskey? Is there any forums on whiskey tasting? Is it you love documentaries? Do you love hiking? So finding the things you love and seeing who else may be in those environments that you can connect with. And some of them may even be online right now, right? Because a lot have shifted into all different ways that people are connecting. And then the last one is, I think I just said out and about. This one I get so confused. There's so many of them. We were just talking about how you know, there are certain ways that you can go and meet people uh, in different situations in different scenarios. What you're saying too, like asking your friends, like maybe that's um, something not everyone thinks about because, okay, maybe it's just me personally, but like if I was getting into that scene, mm -hmm. maybe a part of me is like, I'm kind of um, mm. like, like yeah, like shy is maybe the right way to put it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very extroverted as a person once you get to know sure. me, but when it comes to things like this, like I can be a little bit introverted sure. and I don't want the entire world to know. So then maybe reaching out to my friends is like not even an option for me. Mm. However, not everyone is like me. So I think there is absolutely yeah. an avenue there to just be like, Hey, um, do you know someone that might be a good fit for me? Or just to yeah. grab coffee. And with. you know, what's interesting is my client, now she's married and has a baby, has met her husband that way. And what she said is she went to her girlfriend's husband's and said, you know what? I really think you're an admirable man. I really respect you. Do you have any friends like you mm. that you might be, that might be interested in a meetup or a coffee? And because they felt so honored that she thought so highly of them, they were more keen to look for someone because of that mirrored them. <laughs> and there can be that connection. I like that. So, you know, our, all of our listeners, I, I mean, all of us, we have somebody in mind that I think we all like immediately think of, like a single friend of ours yeah. who is a good person, just has had a bad luck of relationships yeah. or something. So, like, we always want to pair them up with, like, the, the next person because we think, you know, it's it, you're eventually going to find that right person. So, yeah. But here's the key. There can't be pressure because what happens is, mm. is if your friend meets, like, sets you up and you're like, how on earth do they think I would like that person? <laughs> right? We take it so personal. You're right. And so then the other person, like, doesn't want to set them up and we're reserved, like, on both parties. So if you go with no expectations and you're just going to have fun and enjoying the moment and it gets you out of the house or gets you on the call to talk to someone different, then that's a win. It doesn't have to go somewhere long term and we don't have to make it mean something about our character, who that we think that person thinks of us. Oh, that's a really well, you know, well put way to say because like, yeah, there, there can't be pressure. Uh, mm -hmm. Otherwise, it can get a little contentious, that relationship and that friendship. So yeah. great way to The other it. thing to, for Dave, the other thing is, is what happens too, is we got so used to not making eye contact right now. Mm. Yes. So if we're not wanting to be online, then we've got to build our courageous muscle to make eye contact, to start a conversation, to smile. I know we're wearing masks now, so eye contact is even more important. But are you willing to be like in a coffee shop being like, hey, what's your favorite latte? Would you recommend the chai? or the mocha or if you're in home depot hey do you recommend this screwdriver or should i be using this tool instead like 
are you willing to be courageous to start a conversation? Because if we're not willing to go online, we've got to be willing to be courageous in other ways. It's a really good point, too, because whenever I walk, you know, just taking a, a stroll around the block and somebody passes me, like my eyes are just like immediately looking everywhere else because I, I feel so awkward these days because I don't have that practice anymore. Just being like, hey, how are you? And just walking along. Right? And I think us humans are hungry for connection, like especially when we're single. I think that's really heightened in the pandemic, right? We're hungry for connection, yet we, we've lost touch with how to do it. And this is an opportunity, whether you're single or in a relationship, is to make eye contact. We're hungry to feel seen, to be noticed. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's uh, yeah. You're 100 percent just making sense, um, echoing all the sentiments that I've been going through my head uh, recently. <laughs> uh, another question here, this one from Kyle in Toronto. And this one's an interesting one, too, because Kyle says, I'm a single dad. I've mm -hmm. been recently talking with a single mom. Uh, we would love to take it to the next step, but our kids actually haven't met yet. So what's the easiest way that we can int introduce them to each other mm -hmm. if we're also supposed to say uh, six feet apart right now? Yeah, that's so tricky. What I recommend um, and what I recommend my clients is when you're single with kids and dating, you kind of want to date that individual for six months before you introduce your kids. Mm. And the reason is you really want to know that the person you're getting to know is of substantial, compatible, you have same values, same parenting stuff. Because as soon as you bring the kids in the dynamic, it changes a lot. And you want the two of you to be more secure Yes, you want your kids to get along. Yes, you want that to click, but they're going to feed off your energy as a couple first. And so if you guys are really secure and comfortable with the way you both show up, you'll be able to help the kids integrate and blend. And so if you're at that stage, then I would suggest like activities where you're outside and there's no pressure. So kids will interact really naturally when you're playing games, whether it's kicking the ball, throwing the Frisbee, flying the kite whether I was going to say the music part, but that's not open right now, right. but ways that take that pressure off and kids get to be kids. And so, yeah, there's that social distancing. So you have to figure out which each individual feels comfortable with their children. Is it masks? Is it not? You kind of have to ask those uncomfortable questions, but hopefully when you're introducing your kids, you've done a lot of that uncomfortable conversations already. And it's a lot more easy to approach this. Now, depending on the age of the kids, too, I think it's important to keep them in mind because um, certainly mm -hmm. if you don't feel like this is a serious relationship, then maybe you don't <sighs> even want to introduce them because the, mm -hmm. the kids will start to feel like, oh, if you, if, for example, if you break up with this person, they're going to think like, oh, like, was it my fault? Or, you know, is mm -hmm. it is something I said or something I did? Because that's, that's the way kids react totally. to things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why it's great to give it time. Or if you introduce them to many partners over the years, over the months, they will start to stop trusting you. They mm. won't know who to actually bond to because they assume that it's just going to end anyways. So you're going to find kids be a lot more guarded and reserved and pulled back when you actually want them to connect. Yeah, no, that's a great point too. Because look, I'm not a dad, but uh, I I can just picture myself being in a situation like that at some point, maybe, and just thinking, you know, when you're when you're a single dad, I, I'm sure a part of you just wants to have that relationship with somebody, but you're yes. probably starting to think like, okay, I have to make decisions not just based on my personal mm -hmm. wants and needs, but the wants and needs of the entire family, and so that's yeah, uh, yeah. It's totally another layer for sure. My partner has kids, and so I'm a stepmom, mm. and it took eight months before we met. Um, and so there's all these layers and all these different dynamics involved. So yeah, there's so much more to consider. doesn't mean it can't happen and be a really beautiful interaction, but you want to know yourself really well and the person you're interacting with. 
and the future of where you want this to go will be important. Yeah, very well said. Uh, Nicole, uh, this has been uh, so, so much fun. And I hope that we can get you back on the show to do more of these because uh, clearly our listeners have some really great questions. I think there's a lot of curiosity with just love and relationships and mm-hmm. dating in general, mm-hmm. but then like certainly throughout the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, your expertise is just so well appreciated. So uh, thank, thank you, you again for doing this. Uh, thank you. I had fun. That is uh, Nicole Haley. She is our relationship, dating, and love expert. You can find her work online, NicoleTalksLove.com. And uh, just a really great conversation. Very insightful and very educational. And so, you know, I thank you for all the questions that came in because people have different backgrounds. And you can be a single parent. Uh, maybe you are a little bit older. Or maybe you just have that social awkwardness or anxiety that some people do have. It's okay to have it. But if you do have it, you know, what are some of the simplest, easiest ways that you can actually introduce yourself or just meet new people? It's challenging for everyone because it's so intimidating, the idea of wanting to put yourself out there because we all fear rejection, right? Like we're all so scared of somebody not reciprocating and that hurting our feelings and that, you know, smashing our self-confidence and our self-worth, for example. But The number one thing to always remember, not that I'm any expert in this, but the number one thing you must do is just love yourself first. Give yourself that ability to say, I don't need this person, but I would like to spend time with this person. That way, you're never putting anybody up on a pedestal. And we got this question from Allie um, throughout that conversation. You know, she is wanting to find people to meet, but she gets shy and often finds that she just doesn't have the courage to even say hello. So what are some tips there? And Nicole kind of talked about it. Look, it's hard, but maybe you're finding a way to do it in the environment that you're in. So for example, if you're in a coffee shop, following Nicole's uh, example there of saying like, you know, what what, what, what do you like to drink? Uh, is this chai any good? Or do you like the latte? That's a really easy way to do it. You just start the conversation by using information around you, aka you're both at a coffee shop. So you know that this person is likely going to get something warm. And similarly, if you happen to be at Home Depot or like a hardware store, uh, it's really easy to just be like, hey, like, can you help me with this? I'm looking for suggestions on like a paint color or a specific tool. And I just I'm wondering if you know anything about it. And look, you might not even care what the answer is. It's just an opening line. And then you say, oh, by the way, like my name is John or like my name is Matt or whomever. So it's uh, just something to keep in mind there. Yeah. Hardware stores are some of the most uh, romantic uh, (laughs) places on earth. You know, you've got all those circular saws. uh, You've got all those hammers and nails. And it's just, uh, it it is sexy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nothing like uh, just, you know, finding love in the bottom of a paint can. You just you never know when you're going to find it. <laughs> so, uh, again, a big thanks to Nicole. And she is going to be making more appearances on the show. So before we get out, Sizzling Steve with the text saying most people at Home Depot are idiots. So <laughs> clearly, Sizzling Steve not looking for love at Home Depot. More of a Rose? Lowe's? I don't even know what it is anymore. I think it's Lowe's. Yeah. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm not a handyman. Yeah. I, I don't even know like how to do basic painting. So maybe that's my next step. I got to go to Home Depot and just like look around. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. You can look for love or you can look for two by fours, you know, whatever. You can do both. This is the Shift Podcast. 
let's bring in our special guest. He is David Pay, the artistic director for Music on Main, talking about this virtual music festival coming up in May this month in just a couple of weeks called Listening Together. And David, you know, so happy that you can be with us. Appreciate you giving us some time here on the show. Thank you so much for having me join you, John. This is so uh, so so exciting because inside, you know, I'm still a music geek at heart, even though I don't work in music radio anymore, but that's where it all began for me. So the idea of getting geeked out about music, it's been a feeling that hasn't really come around in quite some time for a lot of us, I'm sure. So explain to us, what is Music on Main and how can everyone in Canada and really the entire world uh, get involved with this? Well, Music on Main uh shares with you that feeling of geeking out about music the music that we geek out about at music on main is music that is more the style that you would sit down to listen to the music that you would maybe listen to in a concert hall in the old days but with music on main we wanted to find really informal ways for us to listen to you know classical music and contemporary music written by composers so in our live setup there's always a bar. There's always a chance to meet other people who are at the concert. There's always a chance to connect with the musicians afterward. And now that we're moving to an online version, we're filming everything still here in Vancouver, but we're also wanting to capture that feeling of whether you're geeking out or discovering something that's new or hearing an artist for the first time or the 50th time that you have a chance to connect with them. So. The format now is that we'll be listening to music that's been mostly composed by people, some folk music as well, and chances to talk with the artists about what they're doing afterward. I love that because, you know, when you go to a concert, not all the time can you go and meet those artists. I mean, there are things like a backstage pass, but then you have to pay more sometimes or you have to win your way in with contests or whichever way, shape or form. This is far more stripped down. It's way more casual. And it allows people to just get a peek at what that lifestyle is like, what the work was like, um, the training, the inspiration. And these are just everyday conversations that people have all the time when it comes to things that they do for work or things that they just enjoy for hobbies. Now you can do it with the people that you're enjoying the music from. And so it, it, it's part of the best things about Music on Main. It's that you get to have that one-on-one -on -one feeling that uh, you don't always get in concerts. I really appreciate that in listening to music, this idea that it does feel a little bit one-on-one, -on -one, even though we're all in the room together. And that experience is something that the musicians miss so much in this period where we can't be having live performance. I talked with each of the musicians about that. I, had, I did interviews with them on camera so that we could share some of what they're thinking with audiences. And one of the questions I asked them was, what do you love most in an audience? And they came back. One of, one of the pianists, Rachel Owasa, said that she loves collusion. You know, when an, when an audience is right there, ready to go anywhere with her. Um, people talked about the spirit of listening. And people also talked about when audiences come up to them after the concert to tell them what they heard, to ask them a question about the music, to get geeky about, you know, the guitar and the setup. It's, it is that connection that Music on Main always strives for and that does make it special. We have a violinist who studied at Juilliard and has played in the great concert halls of the world. And if she was playing at Carnegie Hall, you couldn't just walk backstage and say, oh, when you did this, I felt this way. But at Music on Main, you can't do that. And 
I'm hoping in the online setup that it'll feel that way too when you join in for for conversations and Q and A's afterwards. Oh, that is excellent. Um, you know, recently I went to this exhibit called Imagine Van Gogh, set up at the Vancouver Convention Center. And not only is it just visually striking, the fact that there's these massive walls with these projected images of some of Van Gogh's most famous works uh, rolling along, it really makes you feel like you're inside of these paintings. But it's the music aspect that I really admire too, because they paired it. Like, you know, when you go to a nice dinner, they say, oh, this pairs nicely with such and such wine. They paired it with classical music so that when you're walking in there, it takes you back to those generations where maybe you would have felt like you're in Van Gogh's studio just watching him at work or just admiring the work that he's put on display instead of feeling like you know, it's 2021 and you're here in Vancouver in a giant, um, you know, giant co convention center, you just lose yourself. So I think with this experience, the fact that people, yeah, you can be enjoying it from your kitchen, your living room, wherever you might be watching the concert experience from, but the whole point of it is to just immerse yourself into the experience of this music. And I think classical music has that effect maybe more than most music these days. You know, I think classical music is in this funny and amazing place where in everyday life, it's not as common in Vancouver as it might have been 50 years ago. But when we need something to kind of re-regulate our nervous system, when we need something to help us celebrate, when we need something to help us grieve, we often turn to classical music. And... You know, it is just another form of cultural expression and heritage, and it has maybe a lot of baggage. And I always love when I'm having conversations with people about music. We'll be talking about the latest pop songs. Or the other day, you and I were talking, uh, uh, oh, I've uh, about Taylor Swift. That's right. We, yeah. we're, you know, talking about the, like the biggest pop stars in the world. And when we talk about this kind of music, there's an energy that people share. And often I notice when we switch to talking about classical music, people kind of, oh, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And, oh, can I, can I talk about it this way? You know, we don't worry about that when we're talking about a Taylor Swift song or we're talking about a folk song that we heard or the latest band that's really exciting us. But somehow all of these barriers have been set up by classical music for audiences where people sort of worry that this music that so many people love is not as approachable or somehow we shouldn't be using our bodies to enjoy it and swaying to the music or we shouldn't be having conversations about it if we don't know really detailed information. And that's something I really love at Music on Main is no matter what the music is, if you're listening to a solo violinist playing Bach on a 200-year-old violin, or you're listening to an electric guitarist who's collaborating with a singer on folk songs from Moravia, you can have the same response, which is just like, oh, I'm into this. Oh, I like this. Oh, I'm not really into that piece, <laughs> you know? And so I, 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 I hope that one of the things that Music on Main is able to do is kind of just insert music as an everyday important part of our lives. And it really is. And maybe that 
that fact has been suppressed a little bit over the past year because uh, we get stuck in this routine, most of us working from home, not being able to go outside, socialize the way that we normally would, not being able to go enjoy uh, live music the same way that we have. But with that in mind, we then have to imagine what life has been like this past year for the musicians themselves. And as you mentioned earlier, David, a lot of these musicians, they just love performing. That's why they do it. And not being able to connect with listeners, not being able to just do what they have been training their entire lives to do. Um, you know, what were those conversations like when you're putting this together and just hearing the size of relief from these artists who say, finally, an opportunity to get back to what we love to do? It's been really interesting for me to track that conversation with musicians throughout the pandemic. You know, a year ago, April of 2020, nobody knew what was in store and nobody was doing anything. People, uh, nobody was doing anything sort of in a really professional way. Lots of people were opening their laptop and turning their phones on and recording something in a very easy way and sharing it with the world because of that need for musicians to share their music out and also that need of audiences to hear music. So there were some really incredible gestures last year of musicians starting to dig into this, but it was still them alone at home. And then in the late summer, in the early fall, we started to have some live performances out, but it was still really hard to make happen. So some musicians were starting to come out and, and do stuff. But anytime we offered an opportunity, musicians would say, the reason I'm here today, the reason I got out of my house is because you asked me to play. So we had really important and life-saving subsidy from the government in Canada for individuals who lost their incomes. And we learned with musicians and most people a subsistent wage or subsidy wasn't everything that people need to get by. Musicians need to perform. Musicians need to create those vibrations for people. And so more and more people found ways to do that. And then this spring, as we were recording and we continued that conversation of what musicians have been missing during the pandemic, they've talked about changes to how they want to approach music in the future. You know, they're still looking for opportunities. They're making friends with their microphones as opposed to, you know, feeling like they're objects that require perfection. Um, they're, they're changing their approach to making music and they're wanting to find even more ways to connect with people once we can get back to live performance. We are in conversation with David Pay, the Artistic Director for Music on Main. We've got that virtual festival coming up in a couple of weeks called Listening Together. And David, for you, this is now the 15th rendition of Music on Main. Could you ever have imagined that it have grown to something so big and international the way it is now? You know, I think part of me could have imagined being as active as we are today, uh, 15 years ago. But I don't think I could have imagined how many great national and international connections we would be able to establish at Music on Main. We started off very much with the idea of being in a neighborhood. And I thought I was fulfilling kind of a geographic gap of not a lot of music happening on Vancouver's Main Street, which is, you know, was a really cool up and coming neighborhood 15 years ago. But more and more, what I recognized is that I was filling this gap that was a social gap of how we can feel connected as citizens in a city. And that idea of using music as a tool to connect people has always been there. But 
trying to reframe classical music as a tool that can connect people and trying to reframe contemporary music by today's composers as this tool, I think really resonated. And it resonated not just with people in Vancouver, but with people across the country. And then fairly quickly with people in the Netherlands. Hmm. And then after the Netherlands, other European countries. And I started to get invitations to go and work on events and conferences and festivals in Europe. Um, and then in 2017, we hosted what was the largest new music festival in Canada's history. We had over 150 composers. We had 50 events in seven days. And it was part of the ISCM or the International Society of Contemporary Music, which is a hundred year old organization that does festivals every year in different countries. And it's been really rewarding to be a part of something that's become global, become a part of something that still feels really local and to be able to share out stories from Vancouver and stories from Canada with other people in the world and to be able to bring home those stories and share them through music here in Canada as well. Now, as I said, you have curated uh, what is going to be an inspiring lineup of many talented musicians and artists who are ready to perform and show what they're made of uh, for Music on Main's 15th season this year. Um, which of those talented artists, and I know it's hard to pick favorites, and it's a little unfair that I'm asking you this, but which of those do you think are, are really going to captivate audiences that maybe just haven't given that particular genre a try before? That, you know, which is your favorite child kind of question around <laughs> you know, pieces of music and stuff. And But, you know, I think it depends what you're looking for. And I would say for that person who just wants to be inspired by the extraordinary musicianship and technical abilities and storytelling of a musician, if they tune in on May 14th and hear Chloe Kim, the violinist, playing this big, beautiful piece by J.S. Bach, it's um, solo violin. It's not filled with melodies as much as beautiful gestures that are based in old forms of dance. So you can really feel some rhythms keeping you going. But it's also one of the, it's it's held up as one of the pinnacles of music making. There's this movement of Chacon, which has a bass line that repeats over and over. And Bach is able to do that on a violin with all this other stuff going on with just one person playing it. And to see Chloe's joy when she plays this music and to hear her extraordinary musicianship and technique, it's kind of mind blowing to hear that. I can't wait to check that out for myself. Yeah, is there is there several others that uh, maybe? Are, uh, and by the way, is Chloe is she is she a Canadian artist or is she from yeah. other parts? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Chloe was born in Vancouver and raised in Vancouver. She studied at University of Victoria and then she moved to New York to study at the Juilliard School. And her career is taking off, and she was just starting to play, like kind of have this career where she was based in New York and San Francisco and Paris as a you know woman in her 20s like really starting to take off and she was in san francisco as a soloist playing with an orchestra and the pandemic set in hmm. and her mom lives in victoria so she moved back to victoria and has been here for a year she also made some pretty amazing music happen last year with a series called music for the pause in victoria where they filmed gorgeous performances and shared them out so for me it's been really great to be able to connect with her and because of the pandemic, she's back home and we're able to work together with an amazing locally born musician again. And I, and I wonder, you know, what's your take on 
Canadian classical music composers, artists, and the growth of that particular sector? And, and has, have you seen positive numbers growing ever since you started this 15 years ago? It is amazing how much more music is happening from Canadian composers today than 15 years ago, or at least it feels that way. I think that there's been a movement across the country where composers and the people who play their music have really connected through the Canadian New Music Network uh, over the last 10 years or so. And we still have distinct regional voices and you're more likely to hear a string quartet by a composer in Vancouver in Vancouver than in Montreal or Winnipeg or Toronto. Um, and the same goes for composers from those regions. But there is this proliferation and I think a real, um, a deeper integration of art music or sitting down to listen to music, whatever we're going to call today's classical music. I think there's a real integration into other aspects of music making, whether it's film scores or on a traditional classical music series. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an exciting moment, I think, for composers. There's a lot happening and I think a more readily accepted position of really amazing art making for composers in Canada today. You know, that's the thing. When people say, oh, I'm not familiar with music that involves composers. I'm like, have you ever seen a movie? If you, if so, then you know exactly what we're talking about. Like Hans Zimmer is one of the most famous composers in the world and his work is celebrated and people don't even realize that it, it's kind of the same foundational background as the kind of music we're talking about right now. Yeah, and so much music, whether it's a composer like Julia Wolf out of New York or or Caroline Shaw, who was our composer in residence, but is doing film scores and working with big pop stars. You know, there, there are so many people who create music in so many different ways. And sometimes those ways have mass reach, like through a movie. And other times they have really small and intimate reach, like through a string quartet in a small venue. Mm -hmm. But it's all always powerful. And I think that's uh, the biggest takeaway here. And you know, David, I think one thing that we really have to mention here with Music on Main is that it's free. And that is really, really important because I, I think you and your team have you know, made sure a concerted effort was put into making sure that it is free and accessible to however many people uh, want to come and tune in while the festival is on. It's a, a really tricky thing from a business perspective these days. You know, we're a charity, a nonprofit, but we still need to bring revenues in to pay for the artists and to pay for all the extra equipment putting on a digital concert where you're videotaping it and making great sound for it and editing it is a lot more expensive than putting on a live concert mm. it's all the same expenses as the live concert plus the film crew so we have um we have a lot of expenses but we chose to make it free because we do want to share it with more people and we know that right now People are dying to get back to live venues, but we do continue to need to listen online and to experience the things digitally. We, so there are two things going on for us. One is we want as many people as possible to access that. So we've made it free and we're able to make it free because many people are generous and donate either the cost of the ticket that they would have paid for or make a more generous donation than that. But one of the things we're also really trying to do at Music on Main with this digital work is to not make it feel like, oh, I would have been in a concert hall listening to that and there's some camera in the back of the hall and you just see this one shot. We're using 
digital to its full advantage so that you get perspectives and insights that you could never get in a live performance. You know, that close-up of the violinist's hand, that expression on the singer's face. So there's some, I think, some exciting moments for that. And we hope with it being free that as many people will tune in for, to it for as long as they want or even just to catch a little snippet. Amazing. Yeah, you can find the details online, musiconmain.ca, listening together, five days of great music and conversation. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you okay with messy breakups? Oh, I mean, so, so like when you meet, you know, somebody at the hardware store, and then you go out with them for a while, <laughs> and then, and then you, uh, you know, everything's going good, and then you know, two three months down the road, you've done all this work, you know, you've done the gutters, <laughs> you've done the floors, you've you know, put in drywall, renovated their entire home, yeah, yeah, like a big big job, and then they like break up with you after, uh, you know, that kind of <laughs> that kind of breakup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, messy, and it just feels like all you got was just being used, you know? Like, that's that's not a good feeling. No, no one likes that. Right. Are you okay with messy breakups? I mean, that's a very specific example as shared by Maddie with a nice little connection there to our chat with Nicole. But messy breakups, look, obviously, it's never fun to be in a messy breakup. But there's a reason why, like, Jerry Springer has been such a popular show for so long on cable television and even Maury and you know, whatever else. It's because people love witnessing and we love watching messy breakups. We are nosy by nature. So I think there's something interesting there. Are you okay with messy breakups? Take a listen here. Aaron Rodgers has told certain members of the organization that he does not want to return to the Green Bay Packers. And this is an issue that has gone on throughout the course of the offseason, so much so that each of the Packers' main individual decision makers, the president, Mark Murphy, the head coach, Matt LaFleur, the general manager, Brian Gutekunst, have each taken trips out west to go meet with Aaron Rodgers, to fly out and meet with him, to see if they could change his mind and convince him to come back to Green Bay, which he does not want to do at this point in time. But to date, Aaron Rodgers has not budged. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. So it's a little funny that we get to talk about a messy breakup on the show, the same show that we had a conversation with Nicole Haley, but Aaron Rodgers, so he's the reigning MVP in the NFL, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play, has apparently had enough with all the shenanigans there in Green Bay with the team. There is a very good chance now that he has played his final game with the Packers. And I bring this up not just as a shameless NFL fan, but to put this into perspective that most Canadians can understand, it would be like if Sidney Crosby wanted out of Pittsburgh, if Connor McDavid wanted out of the Edmonton Oilers. That is how massive of an important player that Aaron Rodgers means to not just the league, but certainly to that team, and how ugly of a breakup this could really turn out to be. Uh, our text message inbox, 877-399-9898. Trucker Dad saying, wow, I'm glad you didn't get too specific on the details about that breakup, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, Trucker Kevin also chiming in. No to messy breakups. I had an ex when I was 17. Chase me down Main Street trying to hit my car. Oh, my goodness, Trucker <laughs> Kevin. I feel like we need to hear that story with a little bit more context there. 
Like what had happened? Who won? Did did you manage to get away? Uh, Sizzling Steve in North Van says, quite simply, two words, be nice. And Catherine in Surrey says, I don't trash and dash. So there you go. Again, messy breakups suck when you're in them, like Trucker Kevin experience, but they are so fascinating. And let's be honest, they are fun to watch. It's just part of who we are as human beings. We thrive on others' misery, maybe. Yeah, I guess it's it's fun when it's not you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the biggest question of the night. Are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay with the McPizza? I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so much other competition, even like with the trashier sort of, you know, food that you can get. Uh, and, you know, McDonald's has, you know, cornered the market on trash food, you know. And I say that with a lot of, you know, love because, I, you know, I'm still addicted to that stuff. But um, Of course. Yeah. But the McPizza, I always, it was, for me, it was one of those things that just kind of came and went like a very hazy memory uh, in my youth. At one point, I was like, Oh, we're doing this McPizza thing now. And even as a wee, uh, when was it? As a wee teenager, let's just say, nice and vague mm-hmm. there, I, it just came and went. And, uh, you know, I never, I never sought it out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, the McPizza is like infamous depending on who you talk to. But obviously, at some point, McDonald's. They had this idea that, hey, we're not just going to do burgers and fries. We're going to do pizza. And some people really enjoyed it. Others thought it was kind of meh. For those that don't remember, here is a commercial taking us back to the McPizza days. There are some things parents will never hear. Mom, would it be okay if I went to bed early tonight? Things that would be too good to be true. Would anyone mind if I vacuum the stairs? Luckily, some things are good and true, like the McDonald's family-sized pepperoni pizza, smothered in cheese and pepperoni for only $5.99 or two for $10 every day. No dessert for me, Mom. I don't deserve it. Family-sized pepperoni pizza. It's a parent's dream come true. Ah, uh, two pizzas for 10 bucks. I mean, hey, I don't care where it was made. I'll take that. That seems like a deal to me. Two now, Friday morning... Yeah, well, hey, yeah. I, I look, my favorite coffee is McDonald's coffee, so I don't want to trash McD's too much here. But Friday morning, McDonald's Canada tweeted a pretty cryptic message. They said, and I quote, a tasty Canadian treat is coming out of retirement and back to McDonald's on May 11th. Can you guess what it is? Now, they didn't really provide the answer. I guess they're going to wait 10 more days for the big reveal. But this had everybody on the Twitter sphere in Canada basically guessing what it could be. Now, a lot of people were voting for the McPizza. Others said, uh, you got to bring back things like the McDLT, I believe it was, which was a combination of these two burger sides that were separated in different containers. And then you would just slap them together. Uh, So that was kind of interesting. And then there was, of course, my favorite thing, the big extra the big extra, which is no longer on menus, it was so good. It was seasoned a little bit differently. They need to bring that back. So are you okay with the McPizza or would you rather see something else? You can let us know. 877-399-9898. 
Yeah, I know that the McRib has a very like devoted fan base. <laughs> yeah, and see the McRib, they still keep it on the menu as like a temporary thing because it's seasonal, but it's never gone away. Like it went away for a little while, but then now it's back with a more consistent basis. Uh, Trucker Dan saying, "I'm not okay with Mc anything." Fair enough, you know. Sometimes uh, not everyone enjoys the uh, the McDonald's. Uh, I got this one from SD in Winnipeg. What I miss most from McDonald's was the hot apple pies from mid to late seventies. They were hot out of the fryer and crusty with that gooey filling goodness. Those pies are still around, but I take it they're a little bit different these days. <laughs> it's very specific. Mid to late seventies, just like was the golden age for those pies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And we got this one from Blue Man saying. I love the mini pizza from McDonald's as well. And uh, yeah, may, see, it could be the McRib. Like Trucker Dan is saying, I'm willing to bet it's the McRib. But I don't think they would have made such a special announcement because the McRib comes back pretty regularly. Some people suspect that it's actually a dessert, like an ice cream or something frozen, like a sundae. So keep your eyes opened. May 11th is when they will make that announcement. Uh, do we have time for one more here, Maddie, really quickly? Uh, let me check my watch. Yeah, yeah, we're good. All right. Are you okay? Are you okay with horse racing? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've never, I've never taken my money to the track. Um, I just, uh, just never had the eye of the tiger. Some people, you know, just willing to lay it on the line and uh, put everything on Santa's little helper, but I just uh, can't do it. <laughs> Fair enough. It's not for everybody, but uh, horse racing. Look, I grew up in Cloverdale, BC, and in Cloverdale, there's the Fraser Downs. So obviously, you know, I knew some people that participated, had families that did little races there. So it's kind of been a part of my childhood history. With that said, why are we talking about horse racing? Oh, well, it just so happens that Saturday, May 1st is quite an important date for horse racing. Take a listen. They're off in the Kentucky Derby. Listen to that crowd roaring. So later today, the 2021 Kentucky Derby officially kicks off one of the longest running sports events in U.S. history. It's only actually gotten better with age. Uh, so uh, the one great thing about horse racing is all the different names of the horses. I haven't done a lot of research into the racing this year because I just I hadn't really thought about it, but it's happening today. So for those that are wondering, Known Agenda is a name of a horse, and it's actually the odds on favorite to win. Uh, odds makers have it at six to one. Obesos is a solid dark horse, pardon the pun. It's currently sitting at 20 to one odds. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. And my favorite named horse at the Kentucky Derby this year, Midnight Bourbon. Also sharing 20 to 1 odds. And I think that's the best name so far. Ooh la la. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.